let's pray. God, I pray that we would become more and more a liquid church, that you would refresh our souls this morning, that we might go out and be a refreshment into a world that desperately needs you, Jesus. And so refresh us now through your word and by the power of your spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. We ask it in your name. Amen. When we embarked on this series called Liquid Church uh, several weeks ago, and I started by asking you a couple questions that I really wanted you to think about and consider, and they are simply this. What's flowing from St. John? And then, what's flowing from you? And I remember when I was thinking about this series and praying about this series and putting this series together, and I was sitting over in our little prayer area in our prayer garden, and I love that section of our facility. It's a beautiful place to be, and I was sitting there meditating, and we've got a little um, fountain that flows water through that, and so it was just a great place to sort of get my mind around the series and praying through it, and, and I kept thinking about that water flowing, and I thought, God, what, and that's where those questions came out of, God, what's flowing from this place, and what's flowing for me as an individual, and, and, and so as I thought about those questions, I thought what it must be like from the community's vantage point if what's flowing is stagnant water or what's flowing is dirty water from the church. Nobody would gravitate toward that. And it made me think of a time several years ago, I was a part of a task force that was studying why young people didn't want to go into professional ministry. And so we were part of the team, and we had ventured our guests. We're like, well, I'm sure, you know, a lot of that is, well, you, you work on weekends, uh, you work on holidays, and uh, a lot of times you don't get paid very much, you know, maybe it's thankless, or all these other kind of issues that are there. And so we commissioned a study, because we thought we really should find out what high school students are saying and thinking about ministry. And so we asked the question, and we got some very fascinating responses from people. The number one, by vast all statistic reasoning way above everything else was this one reason. I just didn't see the joy in my pastor or my professional church worker at my church. I thought, how sad, because what that says to me is, I don't want to do this for the rest of my life. Look at how miserable they look. <laughs> and I thought, man, what a shame that is. Like somehow they, what they see is not living water. They see drudgery and, and pain and torment through that, and I thought, wow, that has got to change. And if that's what people inside the church feel, what does the people outside the church feel? If that is not liquid, it's not refreshing water that is restoring souls, it is stagnant water, and we don't want that to happen. We want to change. And I realize change is a word that not everybody is comfortable with. And when you instantly say change, it conjures up emotions in people depending on where you fall on the change continuum. But Jesus calls us to be light to the world. And then I wonder, what kind of light are we? Are we a light that shines brightly, or are we a burned-out light bulb? And so you look at a burned-out light bulb, and it's very easy to look at a burned-out light bulb and go, change the light bulb. That's pretty easy to do, right? You change a burned-out light bulb. That's what you do. By the way, do you know how many atheists it takes to change a light bulb? Well, just one, but they're still living in darkness. See, that's a little church humor there, very little church humor there. 
I'll pick on Lutherans because I grew up a lifelong Lutheran kind of thing. How many Lutherans does it take to change a light bulb? Change? <laughs> we don't change. We don't change. Why are you talking about change? We can pick on everybody if we want to. How many Episcopalians um, does it take to change a, a light bulb? It takes 10. One to change the light bulb and nine to talk about how much they really miss the old light bulb and uh, how that works. <laughs> You can pick on Presbyterians, too, if you like Presbyterians. How many Presbyterians does it take to change uh, a light bulb? Probably about 30, because they've got to put at least six different committees together, at least five people each, and they've got to talk about it forever. So at least 30 people to change a light bulb. Uh, how many Pentecostals does it take to change a light bulb? I'm going to offend everybody, by the way, just in case you're wondering how long this is going to... How many Pentecostals? Well, again... Ten, it's just one to change the light bulb and nine to pray about the spirit of darkness um, over people and do that. So we've got, like, what's the purpose of changing light bulbs and what was the whole purpose of that little analogy? The purpose of that is, boy, if we don't embrace change and if we don't continue to change, we're not going to take refreshing water out to people who so desperately need to have it. And this is the danger of a church and it's a tension that we have to wrestle with. Because we worship a God that doesn't change. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't change, but yet our methods for communicating that truth and the truth of Jesus that died and rose for our sins, that method has to continue to change if we want to reach another generation of people. Because otherwise, we're going to go the way that a lot of European churches have gone. One of the advantages of getting married a little later in life is you have a little bit um, more money to do some cooler uh, honeymoons with. And so my wife and I, we decided we're going to go over to Europe. And she goes, well, I'd love to go to Paris. I'm like, okay, well, let's go to Paris. We'll spend a few days in Paris and, and walk around and, and you know, do all the wonderful things you do in Paris when you're there. And we did an overnight train and went to Germany. And I said, man, if we're going to be this close, um, being a lifelong Lutheran, I want to go back to like walk in the footsteps of Martin Luther and go to Wittenberg and, and see the church and, and all that's there and experience all of that. And she's like, Okay, yeah, it doesn't sound real romantic, but yeah, sure, I'm game, let's go, and, and let's do that. I'm like, oh, this is going to be great, and so I was really looking forward to going to Wittenberg, and in fact, we've got a couple pictures of me at the church. This is Luther's church where he was at, and I'm just sort of standing there looking around, and I'm looking out at where Luther would have stood, looking in this direction, out at people, because I'm like, oh, this... Uh, just think, like 500 years ago, Martin Luther was standing here, and this was the epicenter of an incredible movement of God that transformed the church. And this is where he stood, looking out and proclaiming the truth of that. I'm just sort of captured by that moment. And then we moseyed on over to the Castle Church in Wittenberg, where he nailed the 95 Theses. No, those aren't the actual doors anymore. That's where they were, but they had since burned down, and they put new ones up there, and that's as close as they allow you to get to that. And that's me nailing 95 Theses on that wall. And it's you know, going through and going through the museums and looking all around. The one thing that really grabbed a hold of me was like, wow, this place is really sort of spiritually dead. This place that once was this powerful movement and the epicenter of a movement of God was now just void of any spiritual life. And we went to worship at that church and just a handful of people were there and just sort of going through the motions of a worship service. And I thought, how sad. What happened? And 500 years ago, this place was alive this is the place that everybody wanted to be, to see this movement of God and what God was breathing into the church, this living water that was coming out of this place, and now it had just died off. In his book, Liquid Church, he talks about these stages of the church. 
and it's, there's the movement. And that's the exciting part that everybody wants to be a part of. And leaders are risk takers and, and you're pioneering the future. But if you're not careful, you, you can become a museum. And you just become a caretaker. They don't touch anything. We like it just the way it is. And we're preserving the past. We just always want it to be this way. And then if that plays itself out, you become a morgue. And you're not really leading anymore. You're an undertaker and you're just presiding over funerals. And eventually the church is sold to become a restaurant or some other development. And this is what lies in state for a lot of churches unless you change. There's a verse in our Ezekiel passage that I shared last time I was preaching. And it's the one verse that talks about um, non-refreshing water. And it says this in verse 11, but the swamps and marshes will not become fresh because they will be left for salt. What's that except stagnant water? People that decide we're not going to change. We're just going to keep things the way they are. We like it the way it's always been this way, and we want to hold on to this. Now, lest you think that this is all gloom and doom for the church, that I just don't believe um, that there's anything good that's coming down the pike, that the best days of the church are behind us. Um, By the way, I do not believe that. I believe the church is alive and well, by the way. I believe that the church's best days are not behind us. They're in front of us, that God is doing a mighty thing. And even right now, in this moment of COVID-19, where it's just, I know there's a lot of people who are, I'm sick of wearing masks, I'm sick of every other row being marked off, I'm, I'm sick of having to worship from home and not being able to gather together, and I'm tired of all of that. Man, I get that. And won't it be great if we could just go back to the way things were? Well, we never want to go back to the way things were, because God is doing something new. And this is what God is always doing in his church, that the best days are in front of us, and the church is alive and well, and God is moving in incredible ways, and I hope you can see it. Because I've tell you, I've had conversations with people that God has brought here that haven't been to church in years, and I've seen God awaken souls that have never stepped foot in a church before, and they're asking deep spiritual questions. There is, this is a time where the Spirit of God is moving again. This is another revival that I hope we are ready for. This is what Jesus talked about, by the way. Matthew records the conversation when Jesus said, I'm going to build my church. On your testimony, Peter, that I am the rock, I'm building my church, and the gates of Hades won't even prevail against it. So Jesus was laying out this church is not just to be this passive, let's just hold on until Jesus comes back. It's supposed to be an attacking force in the world because there are far too many people living in darkness. There are far too many people who are trapped. There are far too many people dying without Jesus. And he says, we've got to go get those captives and set them free. That is what the church is doing. And when the church is focused on that, man, its best days are always ahead. That is a movement of God that God calls us to be a part of. So what I want to do for us this morning is wrestle a couple tensions. And the first tension I want us to grab with is, is this idea that there is going to be this tension that we want to pioneer the future. And man, we want to be a part of another movement of God and seeing the Spirit of God come on new people. And there's going to be a tension between that and we just want to preserve the past. We want to go back to the way things were. And we got to know that that tension is going to exist. And we got to wrestle with that tension. And this is where our verse that Emma just read for us 
And I love this section. I realized I had never preached on Isaiah chapter 43 before. So I just want to share with you very quickly a few insights that God was given to me as I was coming across this text again. And just to give you the context of what he's talking about, God is referring back to the time where God led his people out of Egypt when they were in captivity and led them through the sea with his mighty outstretched hand and they walked across on dry land and then he drowned Pharaoh and his army in the sea and these chariots were never to rise again and so he set his people free and he says this then in verse 18, forget the former things and don't dwell on the past. which if you've followed Jesus for a while, sounds a little strange because there's a lot of times Jesus says and God says to remember. In fact, the whole Passover was about remembering. (laughs) Before he led them out of Egypt, he said, today is gonna be the day that Pharaoh is gonna set you free and I'm gonna take you out of Egypt. So be ready to go and tuck your cloaks in and be ready to eat. Don't even leaven the bread because there's not gonna be time for that. So when I say go, you have to be ready to go. When I say move, you gotta be ready to move, and every year I want you to remember the Passover and remember the story of how by my mighty hand that I led you out of Egypt. In the New Testament, it reminds us, remember our baptism. Remember your calling as a follower of Jesus. Remembering that the Spirit of God is upon you. So all over throughout the Bible, we have this remembering. So what does it mean then to forget the former things? What I think he's referring to here, these former things, are the things you're holding on to, that these things that have become your idols. And this is easy to do in the church today. It's really easy to grab a hold of the church building and worship the church building and hold that up higher than you do God. And you almost worship the church building rather than the one you created the building to begin with. You created it for God's glory and for his purpose, and we get more connected to the building than we do the God in whom, for whom we created the building. Worship style can become a, an idol for us, and we hold on to the worship style rather than the one we created the worship style for with to begin with. And we can hold on to all kinds of things in our life, and this is what God is saying, let go of those things those things that have taken your focus away from me. It's not that you, you can't ever remember the past and celebrate that and be thankful for that. Just don't live in the past. Like, oh, I remember the way it used to be. And your whole goal is preserving the past. You know some people like that that sort of live that way? They've sort of lived their whole life like, oh, I wish I could go back and do that because it was so much better when I was whatever age that was. What a shame to be trapped living in the past. God says, let go of that. I've got better things that I'm doing. So what's our job? Our job as followers of Jesus is let's let go of those things that we shouldn't be holding on to to begin with. And let's be ready for whatever God is, that what God wants to do. And so he goes on. What does God want to do? Look at verse 19. See, I am doing a new thing. This is our God, and this is a living word. This is God today doing a new thing. This wasn't an old thing that God said, I once, once upon a time did an old thing, and now I did a new thing once. God is constantly doing, see, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up, do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. But what a vivid picture of our world today, wasteland. I gotta imagine from God's vantage point, that's probably what this looks like. And maybe from some of our vantage point, that's what it looks like. The chaos that we're living in in our world today. The hatred, the animosity, the, the division, 
the violence, the frustration, the fear. It must just look chaotic from God's vantage point. And what does God do in the midst of that? I am making a way in the wilderness, streams in the wasteland. The wild animals will honor me, the jackals and the owls, because I provide water in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland to give drink to my people, my chosen. And maybe that's why some of you are here today. Or maybe that's why you're watching online today. You need to hear those words, my chosen, my people. And God is crazy about you. God loves you. God desires more than anything else to have a relationship with you. The God who created the universe is crazy about you. My people, my chosen, the people I formed for myself that they may proclaim my praise. This is God's job. God's job is doing a new thing. We don't have to manufacture living water. We just have to be a part of the kingdom of God, not holding on to things that are keeping us from holding on to God and taking the living water to our own souls and to our family and friends and to our neighborhood and to the world because the world needs to hear. And this is what we're to do. We are to be God's vessel to bring living water to churches, to organizations, to our community, I think one of the ways that we can do this is through strategic partnerships. It's one of our Vision 2025 statements that we believe in strategic partnerships, that we want to come alongside churches and organizations to help bring them living water as they take living water to other people. I feel so blessed to be a part of the St. John community. We've got an incredible staff here. We've got great leaders, great elders, and frankly, just a great congregation. This is a great place to be. But I am mindful that I've got a lot of friends who aren't in great places, and they're struggling, and they're hurting, they're lonely, they feel isolated, and they, they can't even dream of living water because they're just trying to survive. And my heart aches for people like that. We've got churches around our area like that that are struggling. And this is our opportunity to come alongside them and say, hey, let, let us give you some living water let us come inside and encourage you and help you in your mission so that you can discover again the greatness of our God and that God is doing a new thing again for you, that God can awaken something new in your congregation, in your organization, and we want to be a part of that, and we want to come alongside you. This is why I love, um, we're helping out over in, in Cisco at Redeemer Lutheran Church, and I'll be driving over there tomorrow afternoon to meet with the leaders tomorrow night again to talk about what this potentially could look like and what kind of partnership could we have and how could we help them to, to fulfill the mission that God has called them to do. I love this. This is what God is calling us to do. But as we do that, I just want to share this because in my heart this is one of my prayers and I want you to hold me accountable and I want us to hold each other accountable to this. There's a danger in, in bringing living water because when the spirit of God um, continues to move and, and people's lives are being transformed and, and people are being touched by the ministry through St. John, that St. John becomes a vessel by which living water comes to them, it can become really, really easy to start lifting up our name oh, look at how wonderful we are. We're helping and we're serving and we're giving. And it's a tension. And we're gonna have to wrestle that tension to the ground. That there's always gonna be a part of us that wants to elevate us and look at how great we are. But we have to just say it out loud and that's why I wanna say it out loud today so we can be aware when it happens so we can say, no, we're not here to lift up our name. 
That is not our goal. We're here to lift up the name of Jesus. This is whom we have living water. I can't provide living water for anybody. St. John can't provide living water for anybody. We're just vessels for the kingdom of God and for his living water. So we're here to lift up his praise and his name. That is why we are here. So I got one question I'd love for you to wrestle with. And it's this. Are we ready to move when God says move? Are we ready to go when God says go? One of the things that we want to make sure that we are ready for is when God pours out his spirit as we just pray. God, just again, do something miraculous during this time. And I I just see, I can see what God is doing and the way he's awakening souls and hearts and lives. God, how can we be ready for this? And there are two things that really come to my mind. Number one is, man, we've got to be taking care of our own souls that we're receiving living water. And so my prayer and my big, hairy, audacious goal is that every single person is in a small group at St. John because that's the way you get living water. You don't get living water by isolating yourself and being alone. You get living water by being in community with one another. And this is why we're kicking off again grilling groups um, that are getting ready to start again. This is why we have small groups that meet throughout the year. And if you're not a part of a small group, would you please connect with us and help us, we'll help you get connected in a small group. And I'll just warn you, it might not be the first time you step into your small group experience like, oh, wow, that was incredible living water. And I'm like, I'm not really sure. That helped me at all. Would you stick to it? Because community takes a while to build. Community doesn't happen in a heartbeat. Relationships take some time to build. But once you build those, man, it is living water that comes to you. And I want every single person here to be a part of a small group that they are cared for and loved. We can remind ourselves, again, that we are vessels for the kingdom of God, for living water to go out. The second thing I want to be ready for is people that God is bringing. He's already bringing, and I know God wants to bring more people, and we have to be ready for that. And I love the fact that we're welcoming church. People, the two things I hear most often from new people that come to St. John, number one is, I just felt the spirit of God here. And number two, it was a really welcoming place. I love that. Those are great things to have. I'd like to add a third to that. That, man, these people cared enough about me to show me and represent Jesus to me. So I hope what we can do is not just welcome people when they come in the door. I hope that we have enough of a team that we can assign people. Like, here's somebody new, and they're discovering God for the very first time. It's not like, oh, great, I'm glad you discovered God today. Come back next week. You can get a little more God. I hope that we can have enough people on our guest service team where we can say, here's somebody who's going to walk with you this week. Just call you and pray with you, encourage you, answer questions that you might have, help you get connected here. We're in the process of revamping our whole guest services team, and we're going to need a lot of people to be a part of that guest service team. So if that's you, if you have the gift of hospitality, um, just know you're probably going to be getting a phone call. If we know, if you've taken your spiritual fingerprint, you've got a gift of hospitality, you'll be getting a phone call here in the next few months. But if that's you and you're like, man, I want to be a part of that, that sounds exciting to come alongside of a new believer and somebody who's just discovering God. I'd love to be a part of that process. Um, boy, you can certainly connect with us. We'd love to ta- talk to you about that. One of the easy ways to do that, again, is simply text PLAN. I, I did this at the very beginning of this series. And if you text PLAN to 833-440-0137, you'll get um, four options that you can choose from. You can choose one, two, three, or all four of these options. Number one is just to receive um, a Bible verse and a little prayer around noontime. And it doesn't take you long to go through, but it's a great way to prepare your soul. 
so your heart can be ready to receive from God and to be living water to uh, the community and to people around you. Second thing you'll have an opportunity to do is to take an assessment uh, of sort of seeing where you're at spiritually. Like, how am I growing in my relationship with Jesus? How am I growing in my relationship with my family and my friends? And, and you'll have an opportunity to do that, and we'll send that to you. You can click on that. That's the second one. Uh, the third one you'll have an opportunity to do is take your spiritual fingerprint. So those who have not ever done that and discovered what it is that God has uniquely wired you to do in the body of believers, God has given every single follower of Jesus a gift. And that's our way of helping you discover that gift so that we can help you use that gift for the kingdom of God to come to more and more people so that that living water would flow through them. And then the fourth thing you'll have an opportunity to do is to sign up for a couple things we've talked about the last two weeks. The first is missions. Man, we are getting ready to launch and just really go out in our community. We've got a lot of neat things planned, and we're looking for those early adapters who have a heartbeat to go out into the community and out into the world and take this message of Jesus and go serve in the name of Jesus. And if that's you, um, we encourage you. You can um, text PLAN and then click on missions, and we'll have our missions team get a hold of you and find out exactly sort of what you would love to do, what you're able to do, how much time you want to give to that. Um, we just are looking for those people have a heart for missions. And so go ahead and just begin that conversation. You don't have to commit to anything right away. Just commit to having a conversation. And then the one Pastor Jet mentioned last week, creative communication. And this is where we want to continue to evolve and change as a congregation. We want to be better at having materials available. And so putting videos on YouTube and creating um, in, incredible content, both written and video content, and putting stuff online and on social media, uh, we need help doing that. And if you have a creative bone in your body, if, all, if you're wired that way, we need you. And so that'll be a part of that as well, that you can serve in those two unique ways as we become a liquid church and go out in our community. So why do we want to do all of this? Well, the reason we want to do all of this is I'll just describe what happened to me, and it's what happens to every follower of Jesus at some point, that God takes a heart of stone, and he takes that out, and he does a heart transplant, and he gives you a heart of flesh, one that's excited about Jesus, about his mission, about his movement of taking this gospel into a world of stepping into the chaos of the craziness of the world and, and bringing the peace and the love of God into that situation, that this is what God does. He gives us a heart transplant. The only way that we can know God is when God transplants a heart. But the problem is, is like a lot of people as they get older, the arteries get a little hard and they get a little clogged. And maybe it doesn't beat quite as much anymore. And maybe that's you this morning. Man, I've been following you. I used to be excited about singing and where I used to feel so connected with Jesus and, and somehow it just, I seem like I'm going through the motion. Well, your heart's becoming hard. And, and my prayer today for you is that God would give you a heart transplant again. God is still in the business of doing heart transplants. Or, or maybe you're watching today. Or maybe you're here today and you don't have any relationship with God, but there's something that is just tingling in your heart. You're like, something resonates with this, that it's true. Let me just tell you, that's the spirit of God getting you ready for a heart transplant. And that is the most exciting thing that can happen when God begins to stir in your heart that, man, this is true, and he's beginning to awaken your soul. And so this is what God is doing. He's doing a heart, heart transplant. He still does them. This is what I read for you earlier from Ezekiel chapter 36. I'm gonna give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I'm gonna remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And we pray that he does that again today.
so that you can receive that living water that comes from the throne of grace, right down from the throne room of God, that refreshes your spirit, that you live in a new way, that people are captured um, by just your energy and your passion for Jesus and the way your life has been transformed. And they see that and go, tell me about that. And you're like, I, I didn't do this. God did this to me. He gave me a heart transplant. He wants to do the same for you. There are far too many people dying without Jesus. And let's be a liquid church.